This podcast features discussions about finance and money, which are general in nature. This means that it has been prepared without taking into account your specific objectives and financial needs. We suggest that before acting on this information, you seek out professional advice. Hey folks, welcome along to another episode of the Money Mechanics Podcast, where we're here unpacking the money stuff. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Rosie Bouton from We Plan Financial Advisors. I love your business name, Rosie, and we'll get to that in a minute, but welcome along, Rosie. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Scott. Rosie, before we jump into today's episode, we've been asking all our guests about a a happy or an early money memory. Have you got one that you're happy to share? I don't have too many happy ones. I have a lot of early money memories that were probably not as happy. My family were migrants. My dad came from Italy, my mum from French Polynesia. So they came here back in the 70s with very little to their name and worked factory work, things like that to, to give us a better life. So, I mean, it wasn't unhappy put it that way, like we had a good upbringing and a happy childhood, but money was not in abundance, put it that way. (laughs) But there was a lot of love, Mm. a lot of all of the good stuff, but just with very little, I suppose. I guess that's probably a very true lived experience for so many people. And again, we always talk about the happy, light money memories. And I think it's important to remember that just as two sides to every coin, there's also the those darker or more uncomfortable memories that might come up around money as well. So do appreciate you sharing that. And do you remember that like you said there was always love in the family and household, but yeah, do you have any sort of memories of that, that lived experience as a kid where money or may or may not have been involved? So one funny story, actually, we used to have a fruit shop on Lower Dandenong Road in Parkdale and the next door shop was actually a news agency and a tax lotto agency. And, and so I knew that people went in there for something to do with money, like buying little tickets to win money or something. That was about the gist of what I could pick up because I was only a toddler but the door decal of the Tattersall's Bush Ranger was like just eye level to me as a little toddler. And I was terrified that Bush Ranger lived next door to us. So I was scared. <laughs> I was scared of money. I was scared of Tats Lotto. I was scared of that guy. So, <laughs> so I don't know if you would call that. I uh, like that. That's probably good. We'll bring back the Bush Ranger. We'll, we'll solve gambling in one hit to, to discourage young, young kids. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Rosie. And I'm sure that, that, again, lived experience of migrant family and family business really gave you a good work ethic. And I've always appreciated our chats in the past. You are a fellow finance nerd like myself, but you really get into the Centrelink and aged care and retirement strategies. So I guess that's the journey I wanted to take people on today. Do you want to sort of give people a bit of a quick background to, to what you do and why it's important? Yeah, sure. Thank you. I was a former public servant. So I worked with Centrelink now Services Australia for close to 13 years in all different types of payment streams, namely carers, which I loved. I love supporting unpaid carers and their families in age pensions, in residential aged care and disability. 
And so what I found, although I really loved my job in the public service and we were there for people in their time of need, the department shifted their focus from, I guess, helping people in their time of need to catching out welfare cheats and all of those sort of things. And the change was really overnight, it felt. So it wasn't really aligned with my own values The other thing that I would find as well is that most people would come in retirement to Centrelink looking for guidance when it was kind of a bit too late. They hadn't been putting their super away, like doing the right thing in terms of contributions. A lot of them were using their accumulation super accounts as like mini bank accounts and just pulling out wads willy-nilly and that sort of thing. And also just with the aged care thing, there was really no planning around someone's current or future care needs to the fact that to the point that when they had to access uh, care either in home or in a residential setting, it was just too late. And most people didn't even, they don't realise what's out there in terms of supports, what they could access to help themselves live well and independent for longer. So all of those things really led me to think, well, I want to do something about this and I want to get the word out there. Initially, when I started my business, which was about three and a half years ago now, I had the idea that, and it was a brilliant idea, that I'd be talking to people while they were in those sort of quieter stages of retirement, but not necessarily ready for aged care at that point. And we were going to plan, they were going to know everything out there, you know, they were going to be super prepared for it. And it just didn't work because people didn't want to talk to me. Like, it's not happening to them. They're leaving their house in a box. Like, they're not going into residential aged care. And, you know, obviously we know that most aged care entry is after some form of crisis. So it really is out of that person's control. It's usually the families that are making those decisions for them, sometimes in hospital car parks. So I'd like to get in front of people earlier but there's still a way to go. There's a few issues with that. So, yes, I'm here helping most of my clients with that transition into residential aged care. I think it's really important. I love what you said before about live well and independent for longer. I think the conversations we need to have, and we we actually had Louise Biddy on the podcast a few seasons ago, and so the importance of understanding how the system works and how to plan, but also probably that dynamic of the family relationships, like making sure that everybody is talking. And I, I guess live well and independent for longer being that maybe that can be our theme today to, to unpack that a bit further. But I guess with retirement planning, Rosie, what, what works well for people, I guess, as they're transitioning from the workforce into retirement, but then down the track, potentially into aged care or other supported living arrangements? The number one thing that I do find when I do from time to time consult with retirement clients, because I generally don't have that many that come to me at those sort of early stages of retirement, they don't have real ailments keeping them back or anything. So they generally don't get in touch with me at that point. But What I do see when it comes to those quieter stages of retirement that a lot of people, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know what's out there in terms of support. So 
a lot of times I'll have people who are needing residential aged care now because they've been deemed to not be able to live independently. They didn't even have a home care package in place. Like they might have had Commonwealth Home Support Program or the council coming around and doing um, shopping every fortnight and that's it. So they certainly never had availed of respite in most cases they I find some clients who might have been qualified for part pensions, not in receipt of them, family who might qualify for financial support through caring or the carer gateway or things like that. No idea because the system is very complex and really hard to navigate for people. So I think in most cases, it's just really about getting things sorted out, knowing what's out there. I mean, a lot of times I'm dealing with people that don't have powers of attorney in place. That's a nightmare when you don't have that, you know. We've got to deal with VCAD, get administrators appointed and all that sort of thing. So it's just the the basics. If I can get in front of people, you know, that in that sort of like active to quiet a stage of retirement and just this is a checklist like just here are some things that are out there because it's all well and good to say yeah these services are out there and whatever but there's really nowhere where you can just it's a one-stop shop where someone can really help you navigate through all that stuff that that you might need and you might not need it the other thing that I find as well is that most of the people I deal with have lived in the same family home for many years. It's dilapidated, it's falling apart, it's hard to maintain, it's on a big block, it's all of those sort of things. And sometimes if I get in front of those people and we can have a discussion about what living well in retirement looks like, it might be the case that they might have an under, more of an understanding of what the options are there in terms of retirement living or, you know, those sort of things where they might be in a part of a community and they might have something easier to maintain and all that sort of thing. Because a lot of people are just scared from making that decision because they're worried about how it's going to impact their pension or something. A lot of people are quite anchored to the age pension, and you can understand if that's your main source of income, you're going to be bloody anchored to it. That's just how it is. So helping people understand that, well, no, we can replace that. That's fine. And we can usually hold on to some form of entitlements as well, but at least you can live on your terms in your retirement. What I'm hearing there is that potentially as you're a younger retiree, like when you're starting out in retirement, if you're going through those sort of years of enjoyment and being more active, but actually coming forward and having those conversations to say, hey, what is your aged care plan or what what happens if you lose capacity or if you don't have ability to do that? Is that sort of what you encourage people to do is actually starting that that planning process earlier? Yeah, definitely. I think the if I look back on my time at the cases, look, every case that I work on is important and it's impactful to the families and the client themselves. But the ones that have more impact are the ones where you can sort of guide them through that process where it's it's on their terms. It's their choice. They've got full agency of what happens. Like they're at the center of those decisions. 
Whereas most of the time, I'll be dealing with people that don't have capacity or that, you know, it's their family members that are making these decisions for them, where to go, what to sell down, all of those sort of things where if people are open to planning for future care needs and have a pretty robust discussion about it, just hopefully that we never get to that point, but there is a plan there just in case. It brings in things like um, the importance of advanced care planning and all of those sort of things to have in line. Like if you could speak for yourself that when you didn't have capacity, say, for example, you lost capacity, you're unable to communicate, but you had a legally binding document that says, these are my values. This is what living well means to me. This is my line in the sand. This is where I would prioritise quality of life over quantity of life. But you could have no capacity to make that decision, but that thing's in place because you put it in there just with a bit of forward planning. I think it's really important. Definitely. And I think actually having those conversations, and we're human beings, we often don't like thinking about the fact that we're all going to die. We've all got an expiry date at some point, hopefully a very long one, but we don't like talking about some of those those harder emotions at times. Have you got any insights around how people can tackle that? Is it as simple as just have the conversation? Yeah, so good question. I had a meeting on on Saturday actually where I had to have these types of conversations. So the situation there is I've got a lovely um, couple clients, but the wife is actually um, struggling with quite high needs and dementia. And so it looks like when she comes back from hospital to home, she'll have oysters put in and all sorts of stuff. So we're talking about two-person care, right? And a husband is actually quite, has his own care needs as well. So we went through a few of the options. It's her preference is that she said she never wants to go into a home. She never wants to go into a place like that. Okay, that's fine. And I think there is a lot of guilt and a lot of emotions around that for the husband too. But just talking through, number one, obviously, I'm a financial planner. So going through the numbers to assure them that, you know what, even though it sounds obscenely expensive, it is all doable. It is linked in with your means and your level of income and assets. It is affordable. I can show you that. And even it probably worked out very similar to them staying at home and accessing home care for her to be in full 24-hour care in a facility co-located with the retirement village. So that's one thing out of the way where it's like, okay, the money's not the object here, but what is just those other feelings around it? And the suggestions were, well, look, I understand it's a really horrible time, but you've got to also think about yourself and, and your medical needs and your limitations too. We'd hate for a situation where something occurred and then you both ended up in care potentially. So we sort of talked about availing of respite. So people have access to 63 days of respite per year in order to just try it out. And I mean, the thing is, if she tried it out, she tried it out two weeks at a time, see how it goes with the, obviously with coming home, it would give him a break, but it would also give her 
hopefully the exposure to it to say that you know what it's really not that bad like I'm getting waited on in here I don't have to deal with husband at home and blah 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 I've got regular activities that are keeping me socialized and engaged people are fussing over me and like most cases I'll hear from my clients as well that do really well in care but it could just remove that fear around it and then just give them that exposure so it sometimes it is just look even though I'm a financial planner a lot of this stuff is not the numbers like the numbers make it easier to sort of it makes aged care a bit more palatable I suppose but it's all the hand-holding it's the just looking at you know having those conversations around a cable what would happen if something went wrong? And let's try and avoid that by putting some things in place. We're mitigating risk, I suppose, if you want to put it in a financial concept sort of way. Yeah, definitely. And you just touched on respite a minute ago. So is that just available to anybody? Like, obviously, I couldn't just roll in and go, oh, my God, I'm exhausted at the moment. I need some respite days, please. How, how does that happen? How do you get access to that? Basically, you'd have to engage with My Aged Care to have funded respite. And so if you call My Aged Care, they can then go through the motions of booking a regional assessment or what we call here an ACAS, an aged care assessment, and then have the, the I guess, that assessment to determine what you're entitled for. Like if you're entitled to a home care package of what level, if and to give you the referral codes that you need for either residential respite or permanent residential care and those sort of things as well as other supports and allied health and all of those sort of things but yeah you can basically I mean anyone can go in but it just wouldn't be funded respite if you didn't have the codes so if you were thinking that for yourself for a bit of a break (laughs) I don't think so (laughs) I'd have to pay full freight. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and look, I think it, it, it's important to note there that, yeah, there, there's processes and Centrelink and Services Australia have obviously got their rules and regulations around how they assess it. And so the, the means testing on that front. And I'll, I'll put in the show notes some of those resources. I think you mentioned the My Aged Care website as well. And I think it's a sort of wealth of information for people to get started. First piece of the journey is to understand. And then it's probably to sit down and engage with someone like yourself to go, hey, Explain this a bit further, Rosie. What does this actually mean? And so I guess that living well and being independent for longer, if we're taking that on the journey, talking about the respite, we've spoken on some of those other elements. What are some of those other key areas, I guess, when you're looking at the retirement plan around yeah, living well and being independent for longer? A lot of times I'll, I'll be sought out for advice because of that, the specialist knowledge that I have with the social security and Department of Veterans Affairs. So it's more about anything that can support people financially with that, just ease the cost of living. So things like access to maybe the Commonwealth Seniors Healthcare Card for discounts on pharmaceuticals. It could be a part pension to help with some of their um, ongoing costs associated with the home and those sort of things. But when it comes to decisions around living independently, it usually involves the home, of course. Sometimes I'll be approached to go what the various options might be. It could be downsizing. It could be upsizing. It could be moving into a retirement uh, village living. It could be 
uh, moving in with family, setting up life interests, those sort of things. Or it could be, of course, residential aged care. There's a lot of pros and cons with a lot of it. Like I'm a big advocate for retirement living. As long as people understand that it's not a financial decision it's a lifestyle one and that's usually helped by having discussions of obviously with the consent of the client of course but possibly with the family members as well just to say hey you know just say there's not these huge surprises down the end oh they took 35 percent of the exit entitlement da 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 well yeah like how long were they there and did they love every minute of it you know so it's just about going through what the options are and how they might work for a person's particular goals and their financial situation. And you can really, without discussing this stuff, what I generally see is that people will just stay at home and struggle. And, you know, sometimes if they've lost a partner or those sort of things, they're also isolated. So throw that into the mix. They stay there until they go into care. And it's usually after a fall or after some exacerbation of the condition. So it doesn't have to be struggle, bang, care. It can be, you know, all these other things that really help enjoy that retirement stage. And like, I think a lot of people in that age group are worried about spending money, but they have the funds to be able to spend it so that they can live well, they can engage with community, they can, you know, make sure that they can pay for the surgery they're waiting on a list for for ages. You know, they've got the funds there, but they're sort of worried about A, it running out or B, a legacy. So that's where the financial stuff comes into because you can make them uh, aware that it's not that bad. It'll actually all work out, you know, with strategy and all of that sort of thing as well. In touching on that, like I've spoken to a few clients in the last couple of weeks around that mindset when you are in retirement is very different to the mindset when you're going through accumulation phase. When we're accumulating, we're always like, oh, quick, we've got to, we've got to hang on to it and we've got to build it up, build it up, build it up. But when we get to drawdown phase, the strategy is often very different. And as you just touched on there, it's about potentially doing some numbers and sitting down with someone like yourself just to, to test some of the thinking and to see what the possibilities are, but it's got to come back down to the lifestyle piece. And as I think the being mindful of like that drawdown mindset is such a, a different mindset to be thinking about. I think you, you touched a little bit on that, that legacy and that that's really interesting. Do you see that people don't really want to pay for living well because they, they want to see their children get an inheritance? What have you seen in that space? I've seen a lot of different things in that space. So I've got to be, I've got to be uh, honest. It's it's really hard when my client, who I owe a duty to, has a lack of capacity. So I have to sort of take it from the attorneys and all of that sort of thing. And look, my by and large, most people just do want the best for their parents and you know the best care and all of that sort of thing. I've seen mixed though. And you really have to have be on guard about that because I'm that person's advocate. I'm that person's biggest financial advocate there, like just trying to protect them and, and make sure that, you know, nothing's nothing untoward is going to happen to them because part of the reason why I love working in the space that I do is because the clients that I deal with are all vulnerable 
I guess you, you get you hit an age and you're pretty much invisible. Your contribution is not wanted anymore or even like listened to. You're not revered or respected like in other cultures generally. You are victim of, you know, scams and all sorts of horrible stuff. You know, it's just a societal view on ageing in Australia, I think, that's a kind of lens to that. Even with aged care, like we know it's not perfect, but it's just seen as a problem that we have to deal with. Like it's sort of, I don't know, there is a few like ageist perceptions within society that I think contribute to that whole issue. But at the same time, I'm there to protect, you know, my clients that are sort of obviously most people They've worked hard their whole lives. They've had really, really interesting backgrounds. A lot of my clients, you know, there was one that was an air traffic controller, one that was an air crash investigator, one that was instrumental in the development of GPS through the CSIRO. Like they've had really, really interesting backgrounds and yet now they're forgotten, I guess. Um, I think that's the thing. It's like when it comes to estate preservation and protection, yes, that's usually part of one of my plans, but it's certainly not trying to beat the market or do something, you know, like it's it's just trying to preserve and protect what they've worked mm-hmm. for. But obviously that comes behind keeping them comfortable and you know looked after and their expenses uh, met ongoing too that's probably the last thing I look at but certainly an important one too there's probably a whole nother podcast in that that ageism and elder abuse and and all those things that um, unfortunately I think you're right our, our society does not look at that stuff well western society probably is is to blame on on that front you see many other cultures that basically support and and keep older people at the the top of the hierarchy of the family and support and look after them and and care for them so yeah there's such a big um big thing in there rosie we do keep these episodes short and sweet so any sort of final thoughts or anything to to throw in to wrap up i think the only other thing i'd mentioned is going back to advanced care planning and the importance of that that's not just an older person thing it's really important for everyone to you know have their advanced care plans in order There is the Advanced Care Planning Australia website and a support like a volunteer phone line that you can call to ask questions, to get the information packs sent out and all of those sort of things. But they are also a really good source of support, even when it comes to having those discussions. Because again, that's also a very difficult discussion to have about, I guess, your own planning for if you were to lose capacity and then what would you consent to in terms of medical treatment and things like that. So if anyone's, you know, just at the start, not quite ready to reach out to someone like me, but, you know, just looking at a few things and doing their own research, I'd say start with that. It's a free service and they're brilliant. Yeah, that's that's great. Often say to people in that, that, especially the estate planning, but also that advanced care planning as well, have the conversations, but make sure you've got a plan in place because if you don't have that plan in place, it defaults to the state or territory guardian board that you're actually living in. So you're then having 
without choice to deal with a group of public servants and lawyers making decisions on your behalf or on your family's behalf. And so public servants are great people, but you don't necessarily want them to be impacting the decisions or the values that you want to actually uh, live by uh, if you lose capacity. Rosie, thanks so much. We'll grab uh, some of those resources and put them in the show notes. It has been amazing chatting to you. I will definitely get you back because I'd, I'd love to unpack the elder abuse and probably the, the aging with grace a, a little bit further as well with you. Yeah, it would be a really interesting topic, I think. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope that's given you some insight. Uh, I think the, the motto, live well and be independent for as long as you possibly can in retirement, but start the planning process early. Have the conversations with family, start the conversations with, with advisors and people like Rosie to actually give you the insights that you need. Um, and if you are then going or transitioning into care, making sure that you've got the right strategy in place to, to make it work as long as possible. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed the episode, please like and rate us where you are listening and we'll see you next time.